welcome to the Text in Us podcast. I'm your host, George Fricks, and I'm here with my co-host, L. Grover Fricks, to resume our discussions in Exodus chapter 19. That's right. Iconic passage, perfect for Simchat Torah, if you are listening up to speed. Uh, let's get into it. Chapter 19. In the third month that the sons of Yisrael had departed from the land of Mitzrayim, in this day, they came to the desert of Sinai. They pulled up their tent pegs from the Rifdim. They arrived in the desert of Sinai. They camped in the desert. Yisrael camped there parallel to the mountain. Moshe ascended to the Elohim. Yahweh called to him from the mountain, saying, This is like what you shall say to the house of Yaakov and declare to the sons of Yisrael. You have all seen what I did to Mitzrayim. I lifted you upon wings of vultures. I brought you to me. Now heeding, you will heed my voice. If you guard my cut banquet agreement, you shall be to me my hidden treasure from all the peoples, for all the earth is to me. You shall be for me a kingdom of priestly opulent delegates, a nation set apart for a purpose. These are the words which you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Moshe came, he called to the old ones of the people. He placed before their faces all these words which Yahweh commanded him. All the people answered together. They said, all that Yahweh has spoken, we will do. Moshe returned the words of the people to Yahweh. Yahweh said to Moshe, look here, I am coming to you in the threshold of the cloud in order that the people will hear when I speak with you and also they will trust you until vanishing eternity. Moshe declared the words of the people to Yahweh. Yahweh said to Moshe, walk to the people, set them apart for a purpose. Today and tomorrow they will wash their dresses. They will be set for the third day. For the third day, Yahweh will descend in the eyes of the people upon the mountain of Sinai. You will border all around the people saying, guard yourselves, ascending in the mountain, touching the boundary line. All who touch in the mountain dying, they will be put to death. He will not touch a hand in him. For stoning, he shall be stoned. Or shooting, he will be shot. Whether silent one or man, he will not live. When the joyful sound is drawn out like a bow is bent, they shall ascend in the mountain. Moshe descended from the mountain to the people. He set the people apart for a purpose. They washed their dresses. He said to the people, be set, ready for the third day. Do not draw near to your woman. It was in the third day in the morning there were voices, glittering lightning like flashing swords, a heavy cloud upon the mountain. The voice of the ram's horn rang strong. All the people who were in the camp shook like Yitzchak before Esav. Moshe brought the people from the camp to call to the Elohim. They stationed themselves in the underneath of the mountain. Mount Sinai smoked completely from its face, for Yahweh descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended the smoke of a kiln, as Sodom and Amorah and Mitzrayim. All the mountains shook greatly like Yitzchak before Esav. When the voice of the ram's horn walked and rang very strong, Moshe spoke. The Elohim answered him in a voice. Yahweh descended upon the mountain of Sinai to the head of the mountain. Yahweh called Moshe to the head of the mountain. Moshe ascended. Yahweh said to Moshe, Descend, repeat it in the people, lest they tear through to Yahweh to see, and from them many will fall. Also the priestly opulent delegates who draw near to Yahweh will set themselves apart for a purpose, lest Yahweh burst forth within them. 
Moshe said to Yahweh, the people are not able to ascend to the mountain of Sinai, for you repeated within us, saying, border the mountain, set it apart for a purpose. Yahweh said to him, walk, descend, ascend, you and Aharon with you, and the priestly opulent delegates and the people shall not tear through to ascend to Yahweh, lest he burst forth within them. Moshe descended to the people and spoke to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. There we have, finally, Israelites at Sinai? Sinai. Sinai. Mm-hmm. Yeah. New pronunciation for most of us, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I've got two parts here. I've got part one, verses one through 13, uh, and part two is 14 through 25. Checks out. Yep. Moses goes up, talks to God, and then Moses comes down, talks to the people. So that's how I have this divided. And so let's dive right in. Great. We've got a lot of thirds. A lot of thirds. Um, that this is summertime, by the way, according to God's um, God's calendar, starting at Pesach. So if Pesach is in springtime, we're at the end of spring coming into summer, uh, in case folks out there are wondering. <laughs> there we go. There we have it. <laughs> Summertime and the living is easy. That's right. Okay. Um, I mean, it's okay. The living is okay. Um, They had departed. They came to the desert of Sinai. We've had this conversation about what Sinai means, and some people go with, like, thorny mountain. Um, That's one of the takes. Sin is also the name of the moon god, Um, and so that's possible. We've talked about that in the past. If if you're jumping in and you're confused, um, you can always go back and look at that. But um, they had pulled up their tent pegs from the Rifdim, which was a support beam place, Um, they arrived at the desert. They camped there. They camped next to the mountain or parallel to the mountain to yeah. be specific. Parallel to the mountain as opposed to like uh, we often see before the mountain or right. So, yeah. Yeah. There is very specific prepositions. Um, Lifne would be before the face of the mountain, for instance. Um uh, this one is neged, as in etzer kenegdo, and um, which again in the rabbinic conversation would be against, right? Uh, which is a little bit, which happens to work for mountain. Like in English, we would say they camped against the base of the mountain or whatever. Um, but there's a different word for when you're in opposition to rather than next to Hmm. um so here they're next to it okay parallel to it um but you could probably do something if you're george fricks and do something of creation e from this whole thing right because we're starting with the support beams and you could say of the universe and now we have you know um this wedding situation between god and his people and there's even um uh, parallel to is called on right yes yeah i i think that there's lots of room for garden analogy in this passage as with most passages in scripture right um but as you've noted (laughs) starting out with this parallel um to the mountain uh there's a lot of symbology of like you again said uh, a marriage ceremony which is a pretty strongly held rabbinic tradition right right that this is modeled that way if you want to read a really good teaching on it um Foreman. foreman has uh, a wonderful layout of how exactly this story mirrors 
uh, a wedding ceremony, and it starts all the way back with the beginning of Exodus. So it's very good. It's very thorough. Nice. Uh, lots of really cool parallels uh, between stories uh, at the beginning of Exodus and here with Moses um, and Yitro, uh, all the way up into the mountain. So fantastic. Uh, yeah, it's very good. We Highly recommend. Some, some foreman. Yes. We're here for it. Uh, but fascinatingly, in my opinion, Moshe ascends to the Elohim, and we have this a few times. Yeah. I don't normally push, uh, but I was listening to some cool movie scores while I was doing this translation, and thus, Why not? <laughs> thus I feel empowered okay. to claim uh, specifically that the Elohim, uh, I am pretty persuaded, is like the divine counsel in this um, situation. Um, as in Job, as in these different places in the New Testament where God's heavenly beings are arrayed around him. Um, because each time we have this difference between hearing the Elohim speak or ascending to the Elohim mm-hmm. and then God comes down um, or Yahweh comes down at a specific time. So I'm going to make that argument. I don't think that splitting it up doc hypo makes any sense because if you cut out like that line, you just have Moshe ascends to the Elohim and, and that's it. And we don't have any of the Yahweh content. So um, that's not a place that I would say that makes any sense. But okay, I'm biased. Everyone knows it. Yeah. It's fine. Well, there's another thing in this verse, verse 3 here, that I think is interesting. And uh, I want to read the ESV uh, and kind of compare here. Okay. It's all right. Don't worry about it too much. Great. The Lord called to him out of the mountain saying... Okay. And what I think is interesting about that, you have uh, Yahweh called to him from the mountain, mm-hmm. which is similar, right? Yep. I, I can see the similarities there. Um, but just this image of God calling to Moshe out of the mountain hmm. isn't something I've really thought about before. Uh-huh. Um, I always pictured, yeah, I always pictured God being like in the clouds above the mountain. Right. Right. And calling down to Moshe. Mm-hmm. But this seems to make it seem like God is embodying this mountain. That would be very um, ancient Near Eastern if that was the case. Later, he's going to say that he's on the threshold of the cloud. Um, another way to trans- that w- translate that would be um, the steps. So, like, the cloud is the entrance to his Mm -hmm. sanctuary, and he's going to stand on the steps, which is pretty cool, Um, pretty Jesus-y, we would, you know, say, to come down from the throne room to get close to us. But, um, but yeah, God, in the ancient Near Eastern mythology, including potentially in Tanakh, mountains are uh, embodiments of God. So like Ashur is a mountain that you can still see, by the way, it's still there, um, that Assyria is named after. Um, Itzion, of course, Mount Zion, we're going to see a lot of that, um, mm. that symbology as well. So I, uh, you know, from the mountain, maybe he's within it, because later we're going to see them go under it and into it and all sorts of stuff um, that I think is very interesting. So maybe he's like inside the mountain in the same way he was inside a bush. Who knows? Nature and God are not always um, separate as um, our fundamentalist backgrounds might have us believe. Um, Interesting. Yeah. 
sign up for pantheism today now just kidding um that's not a thing okay this is like what you shall say to the house of Yaakov and declare to the sons of Israel you have all seen what I did to Mitzrayim that was a little bit of an ad from me there there isn't really the word kol for all um but I thought it was okay to put in because I can say this footnote um I wanted to put it in because English doesn't have a plural you and I wanted it to be clear. Oh, so it's basically y'all. Yeah, right. <laughs> y'all have you seen. You just separated it. <laughs> right. right. Y'all seen what I did to Mitzrayim. Um, I didn't want to say that, and but I wanted it to be clear that God wasn't just talking to Moshe. Um, you all have seen what I did. Um, two, you can alter- also translate that for Mitzrayim, hmm. which uh-huh. would be a heck of a rendering. <laughs> you saw what I did for them. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but the real the real surprise money there is the wings of vultures, questions, comments, concerns. Uh, yeah, I mean, in a couple of ways, I think that's interesting. Um, and uh, I mean, obviously, we don't associate scripture as talking about vultures, hmm. right? Uh, we as in American Christianity. <laughs> Right, because um, we're Americans. Because we're Americans, and uh, we associate eagles as having a specific majestic nature to them. Right. Right? Um, but in a lot of ways, too, you know, eagles and vultures, I mean, similar in their... Just do say more. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you and Benjamin Franklin would get along great, right? He wanted the turkey to be the national bird. <laughs> You're yes. like, oh, why Turkeys. not the vulture? Um, no, I was just going to say similar in that we have these um, large birds. I mean, obviously, eagles are our culture. I'm sure right. there's they have eagles that they could refer to there. But vultures, I think, have a very specific place in their thinking mm-hmm. uh, because of their... They're living in the desert. Right. So I uh, learned about this and then did further research off of the wonderful book called Consider the Birds. Feed the Birds. A Provocative Guide, uh, which it's always fun whenever anything says that. A Provocative Guide to the Birds of the Bible. Um, They're so hot right now. (laughs) Yeah, provocative might be a bit of an overstatement, but the rest of the book is great. It's a both factual and moving, which is an unusual combination, or at least, you know, one that doesn't come around the corner every day. Um, And she makes a strong case um, that this word nesher is actually vulture, not eagle, and that we've, we looked around and said, "Mm, let's let's pick a better bird but the thing about vultures which is lovely and cool uh is that in egyptian mythology they're a resurrection symbol okay they're also a maternal uh symbol it's one of the uh like you get escorted by a vulture when you are being born um your soul gets carried to your body by this like mother vulture creature Hmm. um and then also when you die or are reborn same same z's um, so that's one thing about a vulture. Vultures are also like purifying animals because they eat what is impure and unclean and take it away. So I like God using a vulture for an image, um, for God's self. Yeah. Because interesting. Because that's one of the things that he does, right? Um, takes, 
takes the gross into himself and makes it no more. So um, resurrection imagery, maternal imagery, um, cleanliness imagery, all taken up in this bird that we think of as being pretty like gross and ungainly. But if you look at Middle Eastern ones, you can be like, oh, yeah, sure. So read that book. She'll give the actual names of the species of birds that you can Google. And they're not um, all like as hideous as turkeys. Um, anti, Anti-Turkey uh, camp here firmly established. Okay. Uh, he says, I brought you to me, which in my opinion is pretty... Um, is pretty marital. I'm team um, rabbis there, tier fo team foreman. Um, and also, like, I love that it's very tangibly true, right? He brought yeah. them into a place of freedom, and now he's in the mountain, and he's talking to them. And so narratively, we're like, oh, yeah, sure. Um, he brought them to him. But also, like, that's not good orthodox theology, God. you God is omnipresent, actually, God. So could you... Um, change your statement about yourself god never leaves us or forsakes us so how could he have brought us anywhere because he's present everywhere anyway i just think it's always worth pointing out um when god is not bothered by our theological boxes when he's making a point um and so maybe neither should we it's beautiful <laughs> cool no comments no concerns cool <laughs> great from you anyway um okay then we get to this place that's almost hard for me like I totally stand by all my translation choices but I'm so used to like such an iconic passage that seeing mm. it like yeah, wrung out a little bit by me and all the stuff that I'm trying to jam in there is almost annoying so hopefully that's not the case for everybody um but it's if you guard my cut banquet agreement so that's covenant right We've, right added on all those things over time covenants um, happen over meals that's part of the word it's something that's cut but it's you know not just a cut banquet it's also an agreement so all of that isn't there you shall be to me my hidden treasure um in modern hebrew that's the word for purple which is fun um but that's the first mention of this word and it has to do with um something that is so precious it's been tucked away gandalf style keep right. it secret keep it safe keep it safe know why it came out that way <laughs> um and um the line that comes after that is from all the peoples from all the peoples and i think that's super interesting because it's if it has this hidden connotation which isn't always brought out in translations it's no a lot of them say among all the peoples oh that's funny mm, that would be like betoch. it does not say betoch. it says me um, so fascinating. Um, but to me, if you bring out that hidden part of the treasure, that it's not just a treasured possession, but it's a treasured possession that's been like stored in and like behind a locked, nice little box. Yeah. Then from all the peoples is like an extra protective nature. Um, if all the peoples are going to turn against them. Um, it's a, a possible reading of that. You can do other ones, but I would argue against Betoch. Yeah, uh, KJV said above all peoples. Above, yeah, wow. Above, that's which I thought was a bold move. Very hierarchical. Yeah. Wow, KJV. Usually they're such a good standby. Oh, well. Uh, <laughs> then we have for all the earth is to me, um, which I think is a 
beautiful statement that can be thought of around orientation, like the whole earth is oriented toward God, hmm. whether they know it or not. Right. Um, That's better than, you know, the uh, possessive way that it's stated in, like KJV says, for all the earth is mine. Yeah. Which I get. I can kind of see that. I get that too. And it's not wrong. I just immediately envision the like a colonist in Pocahontas. Mine. <laughs> <Yes>. Mine. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> which just feels grasping, which um, isn't necessarily God's character. Um, Let's dig up Virginia, boys. <laughs> okay, we've had too many songs. I've already swallowed a song. <laughs> but it's a musical. I believe in you. You can also okay. swallow the song. All right. Okay. Um, you shall be for me a kingdom of priestly opulent delegates. So again, this is me trying to stuff, which is not very what, poetic. Well, but we've seen all these before. This isn't right. like you newly doing these. These are words right. that we've seen before in the text, and they just happen to all be clustered in these two verses. Right. It's just a bummer because something that's beautiful when it's concise and then you try to blow a bunch of facts into it. It's not my favorite reading, but I still like, well, what part are you going to take out? Are you going to take it out priestly? Well, that's a bummer going to take out opulent that's one of the core features of what it is to be a priest which to me is very interesting and funny because we are so uncomfortable with that um partially for good reason in our prosperity gospel culture where we're like yes bring me my uh my bring me a shrubbery (laughs) exactly what i was gonna say bring me my jet you know my private jet my everything because i'm the pastor um but there is this like fanciness that comes with being an ambassador of God that is literally built into the word Cohen. And um, mm. I'm always a fan of pointing out what makes us uncomfortable and trying to lean into it and saying, well, what did it actually mean? And how can we wrestle with that? And then let everybody wrestle with it on their own without providing any answers. So Sorry, mostly. Um, Okay, so they're priestly because we don't want to drop that entirely because their whole job isn't just to be fancy. Right. Opulent. And then delegates, they're ambassadors. And so um, they're supposed to be representing heaven. They're a portal to heaven, right? Because they get it anointed. That's a whole thing um, that we'll get to whenever we talk about the anointing of priests. But anyway, you shall be for me a kingdom of priestly, opulent delegates, a nation set apart for a purpose, I also think that's funny, by the way, because um, Yisrael always like refers to everybody else, like the Gentiles, as the nations. And God also calls them a nation mm. rather than just a people, but whatever. A nation set apart for a purpose. These are the words which you shall speak to the sons of Yisrael. Yeah, I mean, you're right, and it's hard to parse through that and right. not do what we've seen done already, <laughs> right? Which is cut it all out and put your... Uh, theological statements in there right this is a covenant (laughs) yeah i actually i do feel like i'm jamming in theological etymological stuff um but that's because it's in the words and i don't want to miss out on the richness of what's there right even though it's not the most poetic right um yeah well picking up in verse seven then moshe came he called to the old ones of the people which i still love that that is your translation yeah um he placed before their faces all these words with which Yahweh commanded him, which is an interesting, like, physical thing. Right. 
uh, for something that uh, I've always presumed is just him talking. Right. Um, but yeah, he placed before their faces all these words. I think it is him just talking. I um, think so too. But it's a very image driven, like this yeah. is what God's given us. Um, what are you going to do? Which again is where the teaching about marriage comes in. Right. Consent is required. Right. And then in a rare instance, we see them all answering together. They said, all that Yahweh has spoken, we will do. Hey. Yep. So pretty big deal. Yeah. Uh, I I like how little fanfare the text gives us there. Like there's no color or context of like they took two days to murmur together and plan as they watch the thunder or whatever. It's yeah. just like, nope, sounds good. I also like that. And then we have it, uh, Moshe returned the words of the people to Yahweh. Right, like you can't hear. Like you can't hear. But again, it kind of mirrors this uh, bringing of something tangible, setting it before somebody, yep. having it accepted, and then bringing it back. Right. You know, kind of like they are literally, you know, going through this covenantal process. Right. Um yeah, uh, which is great um, in a, again, in this marriage um, metaphor, because that is how ancient Near Eastern marriage looked. But um, I would encourage anyone to Wikipedia Mount Sinai um, and just take a look at that photograph, which is gorgeous, by the way, um, of Yaval Musa, um, which is theorized to be Mount Sinai, which is totally possible that it's not. There's always a million theories about where biblical locations are, um, and that's totally fine with me. But, like, this is the region, um, and imagining Moshe, like, hoofing it up that thing over and over and over and over. It's like, that's what it is to be a leader, you know, um, is being the person who everybody's sitting down at, at the bottom of the mountain uh, and they're doing the things that are good for them to be doing. And rather than sitting down and enjoying community the moment, your job is to go up it up back mm. up the mountain by yourself again. Maybe that's pessimistic of me, but it feels realistic. Um, but on the other hand, Moshe also gets to experience God in a way that other people don't. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, which brings us to this next section here, which I like as well. Uh, Yahweh said to Moshe, look here, I am coming to you in the threshold of the cloud in order that the people will hear when I speak with you. And also they will trust you until vanishing eternity. Um, so there's a lot there. Um, just this image of the threshold of the cloud yeah. is fascinating. Right. You know, what is that Feels portraying? very Thessalonians to me whenever we talk about the second coming yeah. and Jesus coming yeah, it in does. the clouds. It's like, yeah, Sinai, duh. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and then just the intent there that I want the people to hear what I'm saying to you. Right. Right, it's not Moses by himself having right. the secret conversation and mm, that's right, good. Um, God is inviting the full participation of the people. Right. And they're going to have some struggles with that, which we'll see in following chapters. Right. But that is what God is trying to bring to the people of Israel. Right. And um, uh, Moshe, you know, yeah. how sucky is that as a leader? If you have to be like, look, you guys, God told me and have a bunch of people be like, nah, fam. <laughs> sure sit yeah. down be humble we're good okay 
so beautiful. I love, again, the picture of God bringing his like throne room down and he comes out and stands on the steps. I love that. And then he has um, this list of commands. He says, walk to the people, um, which we love the start of a command being lech, which is um, the shortened version of walk, yeah. which we've seen since Abraham. Walk to the people. Set them apart for a purpose. Um, yeah, which KJV has sanctify. Yeah, that's, that's which is that's what it is. Yeah, it's the holy word. Right. Um, I have chosen to translate that "set them apart for a purpose" because it's used as a verb a lot when talking about like the stuff for the temple. So you have a regular cup or bowl, but it's going to be in the temple. So you've got to kadesh it. Right. And um. That's like a process, but the point is that you're saying this cup is different than all the other cups, even if it looks the same. Um, but it's not just set apart to me. When we say holiness is just being set apart, that makes me think of like you're going into that fancy furniture cabinet um, that like my grandparents had or one of my grandparents has that has like all the porcelain inside of it that never gets used but it's like fancy and has pictures on it and just lives in there do you know what i'm talking about yeah i do you're, yep. s- you're set apart but it's just like up there away from all the other ones because they're special and they get looked at instead of set apart for a purpose right yeah. this bowl is going to get used every single day to hold the blood of the sacrificed animal right um, which niv and esv both use the word consecrate oh sure which i kind of like consecrate better than Sanctify. I'm going to guess the etymology of um, consecrate is consacred in Latin, and sanctus is also sacred, right? It's coming from the same thing. They're just, one's more Christianese than the other. Yeah, I like the less Christianese one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but to me, like, if you talk to a layperson, or, you know, someone off the street, what does it mean to consecrate something? It's like, you know. Um, versus being set apart for a purpose feels very tangible to me. But, um, you know, like I picture some monk standing with his incense and his fancy robe and silly hat being like, you were consecrated unto God. Um, but if it's, ah, man, I said there wouldn't be any more singing. But if it's set apart for a purpose, uh, you can be like, oh, these are all the apples that I picked at the apple orchard thing. But these ones are set apart for the special purpose, and that special purpose is going to be an amazing pie, right? I don't know. It just feels more functional to me. But Well, in any case, what you have here is set them apart. <laughs> That's right. For a purpose. I'm writing the document. Okay. Um, then we have stuff that I'm not as confident about in a hot sec here. So today and tomorrow, they'll watch... They will wash their dresses. I am confident about that one. It just cracks me up whenever we change it to clothing. The word for clothing is bigadim. It's not an uncommon word. So he's being very specific about what garment. And it just always amuses me when we translate that away because we don't like to imagine men in dresses, mm-hmm. uh, evidently, if you're a Bible translator in the past couple hundred years. Um, they will be set for the third day. Gotta feel the Jesus. Yep. Um, gotta. For the third day, Yahweh will descend in the eyes of the people upon the mountain of Sinai. You will border all around the people, saying, guard yourselves, ascending in the mountain, touching the border, <laughs> the boundary line, excuse me. So 
Uh, also, everyone who touches the mountain dying, they will be put to death. He will not touch a hand in him for stoning. He shall be stoned or shooting. He'll be shot. I like, you know, there's some flexibility. Like, look, you don't want to kill someone, but high blunt trauma. I've got you. You can shoot them. Um, whether silent one or a man, he will not live. Uh, okay. So a couple of things here. It's confusing to me because he says, guard yourselves ascending in the mountain um ascending there is a participle which is why it's written that way um so it almost feels to me like he's saying you are gonna ascend the mountain but make sure you don't transgress the boundary line Hmm. right and later it will say that they're going to move forward to be underneath the mountain yeah but then he's very clear (laughs) about do not touch no touching. So it's like, how are they supposed to ascend in the mountain? And then later they're going to go under the mountain, but they're not touching the mountain. Um, so that's confusing to me. Um, um, and uh, Yeah, and it gets into that classic theological thing. We usually transcribe all of these qualities onto God. Like, certainly God is fearsome in this passage, but we tend to talk about, you know, how he can't be beholden by men or else we will die and we put all of this stuff in here but i am no man at a one moment miriam just like plasters herself all over the mountain just kidding um yeah so what i (laughs) i would love by the way to make a spreadsheet of the episodes that are recorded late at night um rather than the ones that are recorded during the day because this one is definitely one that's past her bedtime I'm so sorry. I hope you are here for the chaos. Um, Or at least can withstand it. Okay, so here's my theory. You ready for the theory, George? I'm ready for the theory. He's just been laughing at me this whole time. I'm trying to focus. I'm trying not to (laughs) think of other funny things to say. That's very noble of you. Thank you. Um, Okay, I think... God is saying, until the time at which everybody's supposed to ascend the mountain, you can't touch it because if you have Gary, Gary breaks out, hypothetical Gary, hypothetical Gary breaks out from the rest of the people and goes and like sneaks up to the mountain and then comes down in the morning and is like, you guys, while Moshe was gone, I also went and talked to God and he said that everybody should actually worship me and give me all your stuff. Right. You can't have that. You can't have anybody like going up without permission when they're not going all as a group and they're not the specific leader like Moshe is and people having the ability in this particular moment to have their own like special experiences and then come back authoritatively and tell everybody. So I think that that's why this rule is so strong. Hmm, That's interesting. Um, Rather than being like a and. God has just a really high voltage and so you can't can't get near it just be safe yeah I also think it's interesting that they're not supposed to touch the person Mm. right they're specifically supposed to stone them something that's done at a distance oh yeah right they're not supposed to come close at all right um which is pretty severe right um yeah that occurred to me too um when I was reading about stoning as one does yeah um that like oh this is a ranged attack option (laughs) like (laughs) you don't have to come up and execute someone by sword where something could happen you could hear them talking 
etc. This is a look. You're dangerous. I'm going to be at a distance here, right? Because um, God takes seriously who you know when He tells somebody to do something and who He's not speaking to. Yeah, and then it's contrasted by this last part um, in verse 13: when the joyful sound is drawn out like a bow is bent, they shall ascend in the mountain. So a couple of interesting things there. One, you have joyful sound, where we often see the trumpet Mm -hmm. sound a long blast. You have the joyful sound is drawn out like a bow, Mm -hmm. uh, which is also interesting. Yeah. Um, Drawn out like a bow is bent. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, just some interesting imagery in all of that. Yeah. Um, They shall ascend in the mountain. Yes. The mines. <laughs> yes, of Moria. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, so this word is not shofar. For the rest of this chapter, we're going to see shofar, shofar, okay. shofar. And that's going to continue to be the thing in Leviticus um, and other spots. This word is not that word. This word is Yuval, as in the year oh. of Yuval, as in Jubal, Yuval as in Cain. Jubilee. Yeah, Tubal Cain. Same. So this is the word for jubilee. Um, it's not an instrument at all. Which Interesting. If you think about it, makes sense because our burr, 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 is pretty medieval <laughs> mm. and funny. You know, <laughs> like um, I, I'm not saying that there were zero brass instruments. Um, I have not researched it. I mean, they say I, I mean brass in the orchestral genre of. gotcha they're Um, horns yeah Yeah. the classic like strong i think says they're silver trumpets um jesenius who's my fave uh he is on blb by the way you click to expand his little thing uh jesenius who is an actual philologist and actually compares between all the languages um which is something that strong was absolutely not doing um, he rarely gets petty rarely 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 (laughs) rarely but in this section he says um, the jewish doctors are absurd uh which is hilarious so doctors they're being scholars um, sure that's what we would call scholars today but he's he's very um annoyed that they want to translate this ram's horn which i mean to me just makes sense that you would want to do that elision because you want it all to match with the shofar later but it's the jubilee the jubilee will be um, drawn like a bow. Is interesting. Yeah, uh, and then I really wanted to keep in that imagery of the bow being bent because we just had that shooting. He'll be shot thing. Right. And then also we're gonna hear the voice of the ram's horn later, and so to have a sound which may or may not be from a trumpet. Um, it's not teruah, by the way, if anybody's wondering about the biblical holiday of Yom Teruah. That's not that word. Yuvah is different than teruah. Um, But this is like the whole thing getting ready to be fired, right? So shot in the air, the bow has to be bent first. And then they ascend into the mountain. They say, what is it, melon and walk in? Oh, yeah, speak friend and enter. Yes, indeed. Yeah. All right, well, let's get into part two here, which is... Uh, Moshe descending from the mountain now. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Moshe descended from the mountain to the people. He set the people apart for a purpose. So here we have that callback. Yeah, which I love that he just does, by the way. It's not like 
I mean, he's going to tell them different stuff to do and everything. And one of them is what God says. And the other is extra, which I have plenty of things to say about. But um, he just does it. You've been set apart for a purpose, you know. It's like, where's the ritual? Where's the oil? Right. Where's the solemn, like, monk singing? Nope, it's done. Right. Um, they wash their dresses. And then he says, be set ready for the third day. That's also what God said. But then, what else does he say, George? Right. Do not draw near to your woman. Yep, not something that God included. Uh, so not very sex positive of Moshe. He did not read the literature about how we're supposed to think about uh relationships these days um but i mean on the one hand that feels unnecessary and kind of um extra especially about women right even though he's not talking about that um he's not just like women are gross don't go near them um the draw near word is often used in an intimate context yeah Yeah, Uh, Rashi says that the purpose and intent of this is specifically for the sake of the women. Oh. um, Because in this time period, right, kind of similar today in in like purity culture and things, sexual acts are not clean. Hmm. They're considered unclean pretty much across the board. Hmm. Um, And so it's in order to... uh, uh, make sure that they can be included. The women can be included. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, there's some there's some irony in there. Yeah. There's some problems in there that could be addressed in other ways. But and anytime you set up a framing which feels negative to women, and then you're like, actually, it's for the women. I'm always suspicious. I'm halfway there for Rashi, but then also it definitely makes men unclean too. I mean. We'll eventually get to that in Leviticus, but I don't know how you'd be able to swing things. Uh, yes. I mean, there are other details in that conversation that are not necessarily rated for this podcast. Sure, sure. And, th- and here's what I can combine, Moshe, with, with the people. Like, if you're trying to get the people to have the idea, okay, we're going to go meet God, you don't want them all to be, like, drunkenly carousing with each other. You want them to, like, be sober, be clear-headed, come on, pull it together. You know, I, f- I feel like I'm in a 90s sports movie right now. The big game's tomorrow! <laughs> um. But, uh, so I, I get that. It just is unnecessary, and I want to... Sp- pay special attention to whenever Moshe adds something that God didn't say. Yeah. Okay. So off the air, George just explained to me because I'm an adult, uh, the mikvah situation, which I totally get now. So thank you. Um, so yeah, you can go read Rashi on your own. Yes. Go. (laughs) Uh, or Shabbat 68 a, if you want to go and find the specific, reference on why you do not go near a woman that's actually our second tier of like paid subscribers is <laughs> just kidding all the r-rated talmudic material no nope. uh, no that's, we're not doing that's that. all a joke uh that's not happening okay there is no second tier that exists <clears throat> and there won't be it was in the third day in the morning there were voices glittering lightning like flashing swords a heavy cloud upon the mountain. The voice of a ram's horn rang strong. All the people who were in the camp shook like Yitzchak before Esav. This has a poetic uh, lack of grammar to it. There is 
Yeah, there's some really cool things in there. I mean, there's voices, which I don't see really in the other translations. The word for thunder is just kolot, which is just the uh, plural form of kol, which is voice. Okay, yeah. So that's literally what it says. I'm not being poetic. I like it. Flashing swords instead of lightning. It's cool. Yeah, glittering, glittering. Yeah. I don't want to just say glittering swords, although that it does get used just that way, but I thought that might lose the point a little bit too much if people are like, voices and swords? What? Um, so I left lightning in. Yeah, and then there's this note that you put in here uh, at the end of verse 16. Uh, All the people who were in the camp shook like Yitzhak before Esav. Yes. So I took a little bit of liberty um, there because it is poetic, which I always feel like I have more room to play around when it's poetic. Um, But, you know, we're far enough along in the text that we can have intertextual conversation, right? We had our first mentions in Genesis, and now here we are. Um, And the reason that I was motivated to put that in there, not just because it's poetic, is because there's like 18 different types of fear in the Bible, Mm. which is funny. You know, people always talk about all that. It says something about the language, how many different words for X, Y, Z there are, and there's a bunch of words for strength. There's way more words for fear, for different types of trembling or shaking, fear, and people try to do different stuff with it, um, myself included. But this one specifically is the one that not happen doesn't happen at Eden. It's the one that happens when Yitzchak realizes that he's blessed the wrong son, mm-hmm. um, which to me is interesting to think about. You know, the people are in the camp and they're having this moment like Yitzchak did of <laughs> what have I done, right? Because they already said yes to you. To right. God, God said, "Will you do these things? Will right. you bring my treasured possession?" And they said, "Uh huh." And now this is who God is, right? Um, and it's like this, "Oh snap! What what have I done?" Type yeah. thing, which I love. And then it's going to come back later with the mountain doing it too. And I also wanted to highlight that um, they were shook. Gen Z, shout out! Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Moshe brought out the people from the camp. Oh, one last thing. It says all the people who were in the camp, we already know that they're in a camp. So does that mean that there are other people who are wandering around who weren't in the camp and who thus were not shaken? Hmm. I don't know. Fascinating. It's an interesting question. Um, Moshe brings out the people from the camp, everybody who wasn't wandering around like a sim that got stuck in the wrong room, um, to call to the Elohim. Again, I'm taking the stance that that is not calling to God, but calling to the divine council, which is chilling out. They station themselves, which the last time they did that was before the Red Sea parting. So it's a good thing to do when things get dramatic. In the underneath of the mountain. Yeah. Usually that word is a preposition, tachet, but here it's made into a noun. So I made it a noun. Yeah, it's uh, an interesting image. There's some conversations in the Midrash okay. around like what is happening here. Where are the Balrogs? One, yeah, exactly. One of them is that God literally plucks the mountain out of the earth and it's like suspended in the air over Dang. them. And yeah. so they're literally underneath the mountain oh man which is frightening (laughs) um uh, i would be trembling too not gonna lie uh (laughs) 
especially with the smoke you know that we're coming down yeah yeah, yeah all Voices. of those things because yeah. bt dubs like you can say, oh, yeah, that's cool that the word for thunder is like voices. It could also just be the devo- voices of the Divine Council talking, like yeah. the Elohim. Clanging their weapons are, together. Are chatting or they're not chatting and they're making announcements, you know, and you just hear these big booming voices. Maybe that's always what thunder is. Science <laughs> out the window. No. Uh, they're doing a roll call. Yeah. Timmy. Jam. Present. <laughs> Jam. Are you getting Starbucks again? Okay. Um, in my opinion, this means that this might have happened in caves. Um, I was thinking caves too. The imagery seems to kind of match that, which would be interesting. Because there's other words that it can use, like God is Al. He's up on the mountain. So to me, it feels like the biblical author could have said the same preposition about God's people, right? But just not as high, but they're still on the mountain. But instead they are in the underneath. They're not just underneath the mountain. They're in the underneath. Um, so that to me says cave, which is cool. If you are not with good old Ken Bailey and again, getting Jesus-y, um, if the incarnation happened in a cave and we've got more, mm-hmm. more spicy material there. Mm-hmm. Spicy as in fun, not as in um, Moshe's uh, instructions. Okay. The mountain of Sinai smoked completely from its face. Gonna erupt. Yeah. I mean, I've heard before people being like, oh, this is just like there was a volcanic eruption. And it's always annoyed me because it's like what? You can believe that God exists, but you can't believe that he can like do cool miracle things with mountains. Right. Um, it's like, come on. But this he has also... a fog machine. He brought it with him. <laughs> yeah. It's cool. Yeah. Deal with it. <laughs> That's... Strobe lights. Actually, the voices were like struggling to get it plugged yeah. in. That's what that was. Um... <laughs> okay. <Thunder>. But... <laughs> but okay. <clears throat> but uh, this does legitimately sound like a volcanic eruption. So points to the naysayers in the corner who were like, well, actually, it was just an explosion. Maybe it was. Maybe y'all are right, because this sounds pretty dramatic. Smoked completely from its face. Um, For Yahweh descended upon it in fire. Epic. Yeah. I mean, we've got to make an entrance. Yep. It's smoke ascended. The smoke of a kiln. Again, we're still in this um, poetic section. Right. Right. Some um, Bibles like do a little inset and then make everything skinnier rather than the prose. That would be the case if this was a visual medium at this time. Um, But the kiln, the only other places we've seen the word kiln come up are when God set Sodom and Gomorrah on fire. Um, And so it felt like too big of a thing to skip over if I could stick it in. And then also it comes up in Mitzrayim when Moshe is doing cool smoky things. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Watch me blow this smoke ring. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, back to Gandalf. Um, away from AZDZ, back to good old Ian McKellen. That's our safe zone. Um, but I thought Best I was... Best pipeweed in the South Farthing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just feel like it's too big of a pull to leave out if we're in a poetic section where we can loop it in. Why not do people's work for them um, and let them know 
that this is a scary moment because the last time people saw stuff like this, everything was getting blown up. Yeah. All the mountains shook greatly, like Yitzchak before Esav, which, again, we always see this animal component, this nature component being included in what God is doing. We saw that with, like, the cow would be put to death. Right. Right, a silent one that has to do with animals, um, which is also funny, the possibility that an animal would touch the mountain and then start, like, prophesying. Um but anyway, they're included in the commandments. <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> yeah. I'm a cow. Can I go home? Uh, Emperor's new groove, deep cut. Uh, yeah. So when the voice of the ram's horn walked. Again, walked and rang very strong. So it's obviously the ram tooting its own horn. I thought we were going to get back on the rails as you were going to read, but but we're not. We're not. Because now a voice is walking. Yep. Um, Moshe spoke. The Elohim answered him in a voice. Right, which, thank you very much. If you want to say that's God, I mean, you're losing some serious coolness. Um, and also, it would be confusing to me because God hasn't descended yet. Right. Um, do the rabbis have anything interesting to say? Because I feel like I've read something before about why the ram's horn is walking. It's probably in like Yom Kippur and Yom uh, Rosh Hashanah literature that I've read it. But it's like how it's calling us to repentance by walking the walk. Something like that. I think I've read a teaching like that before. Um, that thing not for you? in... Rashi, um, uh, Rashi just talks about the fact that normally when somebody blows a horn, the longer they blow it, the softer it gets. But in this instance, it seems to be getting louder. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. And and he kind of he says that it's because it's uh, it, it seems to be implying that their hearing is increasing some somehow in order to receive what is going to be said <laughs> it's it's a little confusing i don't really understand it um but no i i i didn't see anything there that was super magical about cool rams mm-hmm. you Voices know with walking yeah okay all right maybe it's in hebrew um it often is so Moshe spoke, in my opinion, the divine council answers him, and then Yahweh descends upon the mountain of Sinai to the head of the mountain, and Yahweh called Moshe to the head of the mountain. Again, in my opinion, God is always trying to call Moshe into his authority um, in a positive way. Mm, and he's always sneaking out the back. <laughs> right. And he's always saying, take up your staff, which is like the authority symbol, and instead he just puts his hand out, etc. Um, and so again, him calling him to the head of the mountain to me, um, partially embodies that, right? I would assume that at the peak of a mountain, everybody can see him from down below, um, cause God's standing on the stairs, I believe, and robed in flame. And then he has some more, um, to more commandments, which is interesting that this is what he called him up there to talk about, because what's the first thing he says? Yahweh said to Moshe, descend, repeat it in the people, lest they tear through to Yahweh to see, and from them many will fall. Also the priestly opulent delegates who draw near to Yahweh will set themselves apart for a purpose, lest Yahweh burst forth from within them. Or sorry, burst forth within them. So uh, some interesting stuff in there. Uh, 
here's one of those instances where we see this thing about if you come before the face of God, you're going to die type right. stuff, which I feel like gets ripped out of context. Um, because later in further chapters, all the 70, the forerunners to the Sanhedrin are going to see God's face and have a meal with him. But um, here, God is very concerned, uh, seemingly to me. Right. He said, set up these boundaries, put up these borders around the people so that nothing happens. And then as soon as Moshe gets up there, he's like, no, 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 go back down, go back down, go back down. Yeah. Right. First words out of his mouth. Moshe's huffing and puffing. And he says, descend, repeat it in the people, lest they tear through. I want to know what they're tearing through, by the way. These two verbs are different, but they have the same kind of idea that they're ripping through something. Yeah. It's like, gosh, what are they ripping through? The, the clouds? Cloud. Yeah, That's I don't know. Cool. Uh, well, I like many will fall. doesn't say many will die, by the way. It also seems to imply that maybe not everybody who tears through to see will, because it says from them, many will fall. Right. Yeah, and there's... There's this conversation about, like, what are they falling? What is it that's going to fall? What are they falling from? Like, uh-huh. what is this falling that's going to happen? Maybe if and they don't connect it to death. Right there. Ding, ding, ding. I'm so, excited. So maybe, like, if you hadn't uh, holied yourself, if you hadn't set yourself apart properly, um, and you try to tear through the cloud, then you keel over and something happens to you, Miriam and uh, leprosy style or something. I don't know. It, yeah. Freewheeling yeah. Midrash. I mean, they're kind of, Rashi at least um, talks about how they've been, there's been all this stuff about the people are going to be set apart for a purpose, et cetera, et cetera. Uh-huh. And if they start to break away from that purpose because they get mm. so drawn into trying to just see God, right? then then there's they are going to fall because they are uh, disrupting the purpose of the people. They're hashtag disruptors. Yes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but what? That's not positive? Weird. Um, fascinating. They're ruining what's supposed to be happening, right. basically. That makes sense to me, making it about them. Um, so God says... As soon as Moshe gets up there, go back down, make sure you tell them. Also, by the way, make sure that the priests also holy themselves, right? Because he says also the priestly opulent delegates who draw near to Yahweh will set themselves apart for a purpose, which is like they skipped themselves because last time God said, make everybody holy. And then Moshe came down and said that. And now that he's back up, he's like, wait, 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 the priests too. Yeah. Which is funny that like clergy are the ones who most often are like this is for everybody else but not me um totally guilty um and then moshe says you already told us that because he says the people are not able to ascend to the mountain of sinai for you repeated within us saying border the mountain set it apart for a purpose which by the way i don't think they said set apart the mountain to be holy Mm, i think he said that about the people so that's a weird again elision moshe coloring outside the lines a little bit and god's like no walk descend and then ascend (laughs) you and aaron with you um and the priestly opulent uh, oh tricky business here by the way depends where you put that line break and when i did my reading i took a stance okay 
but I think you could still argue that that's not the case. So syntax means word order, right? And this is like phrase order changes the meaning. So God says, go back down, holy the priest. Moshe says, we already did that because um, you, you told us to. God says, no, go back down. And then it says, ascend you and Aharon with you and the priestly opulent delegates. And the people shall not tear through to ascend to Yahweh. So you can decide where do you want to put that phrase break. Oh, and the people. Right. Ascend you and Aharon and the priests. And the people shall not tear through to ascend. Or it could be ascend you and Aharon with you and the priestly delegates and the people shall not tear through. Right. You can like divvy that out whatever way you want. Interesting. I put you and Aharon with you as the ones going up because of that with you. But that doesn't always mean a whole lot. Um, and the priestly opulent delegates and the people with the people who aren't supposed to ascend yet. So Moshe goes back down. We'll get uh, the real banger next week. Yeah. Exodus 20, 10 commandments. We love. It's going to be good. It will. B'Shem Yeshua. All right. Well, if you have any questions, send them in to us at gmail.com. This has been the Texting Us podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope that you will join us again next week for Exodus chapter 20. Bye!